never prolific, but he was always more than that, just about his goals. You know, wasn't embarrassed with the ball at his feet. Very accomplished player. Maybe even a touch underrated. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Now you're very welcome, Max. So happy to say Gavin Casey, the 42 here in the studio. Good evening. Great to have you in. Thanks, Joe. How are you? Yeah, very well. Uh, this fight is finally here. Feels like we've been talking about it for a long time. Undisputed champion in two weight classes. The prize on offer to Katie Taylor this Saturday at the Three Arena. Chantelle Cameron very much here, as she said herself, to spoil the party. This will be on Dazone. Wondering when the GA Go-esque realisation will kick in for people that somehow this hasn't been uh, uh, snapped up free to air and they'll have to make a decision sometime around Saturday evening is going to kick in. It's a funny one with Dazone because for all of their efforts, I suppose, to break into the mainstream broadcasting market when you're just an app, which is what it has been for a long time, even if it is relatively convenient once you have it on your phone and if you can afford to pay for it, it's almost the idea of having to download the app to watch something. You're like, nah, I'll leave it off. I'll see the highlights in the morning. But they do now have a, a linear TV channel as well, which from their perspective will hopefully uh, afford them the chance to even show themselves in pubs and things like that, which hasn't been an option for them again because they've been an app for so long. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a funny one, I guess, even though Taylor has been fighting on the zone for the past two and a half, three years since Eddie Hearn left Sky Sports and teamed up with them there's I will still receive a lot of questions as to where the fight is going to be shown like they just haven't really made the the cultural impact I guess that they were looking to make I think it's 10 euro territory a month so it's not the most exorbitant I think it's gone up I think it might what hasn't gone up what hasn't gone up Gav yeah okay Uh, so Katie Taylor comes into the fight as the undisputed lightweight champion she is 22 and 0 Chantelle Cameron current undisputed light welterweight champion 17 and 0 8 by knockout come bell time Cameron will have the guts of 10 pounds on Katie Taylor here I would imagine so yeah I suppose there are two ways of looking at it the way Taylor would see fighting up at light welterweight is that to not have to cut weight from her point of view is an advantage in that as she says she can just focus on the fight and the tactics involved and her mental preparation I guess she walks around at about 142 143 pounds when she's out of office and the limit of light welter is 140 so there's virtually no cut involved for her Cameron I'm not sure what she walks around at but certainly there will be a cut for her she looked in really good condition today at the public workouts but the thing is after the weigh-in on Friday she has free reign to rehydrate to whatever size feels comfortable for her so yeah probably 10 plus pounds is what I'd reckon which, when you're talking about two human beings who were actually quite small, is a significant advantage. And even looking at them today, they didn't um, cross paths necessarily. But you could just notice that Chantel Cameron is a bigger woman than Katie Taylor. And we already know she hits harder. She hits harder even up at a, a heavier division. She's probably physically stronger. She's younger. She's fresher in boxing terms, fewer miles on the clock. So I would say this is a fight that actually favours her in more ways than it does yeah, three inches uh, reach as well over uh, Taylor 69 to Taylor 66. Uh, you mentioned the age difference and it's not just that it's four years. It's four years when you're 37 as Taylor is, like 37 or five years. 37 against a 32-year-old feels very different to a 30-year-old against a 25-year-old. As uh, we all find out, Gab, these are costly years in your mid-30s when it comes to uh, ageing. And the other thing is, 
Katie's been in a lot of wars, a lot of mileage in the clock, a lot of mileage in those calves. I know you were writing about that in the 42. It doesn't seem Chantelle Cameron would have come through half the punishment that Katie's been on the end of. No, definitely not. And the thing you mentioned about the calves is only interesting because it's a fight in which Taylor's going to have to remain as mobile as is humanly possible for 10 rounds in order not to get trapped in corners or tight spots the way she did against Amanda Serrano in order not to allow Cameron to tie her up in the clinch and drain her energy that way so that she can come on strong in the the final stretch of the bout and age is is just a number right like I know it's a cliche but it actually applies to sports generally as well it really is about mileage like the odometer will start ticking over when you're in some of the fights that Taylor has been in over the last three four years it's important to stress she has won a world title at 140 pounds herself right so that was Manchester in 2019 but we are talking three and a half years ago it was November 2019 against Christina Lillardi too from Greece who isn't quite the fighter that Chantel Cameron is and Taylor navigated that fight pretty well but it was tricky Mm. and three and a half years on she's had three of the best or or most exhilarating fights of her career but also the most taxing fights of her career the rematch with Delphine Persoon in 2020 um, a brilliant fight with Natasha Jonas in 2021 and then the Serrano fight last April and as you mentioned as the clock ticks towards 37 the body doesn't recover quite as quickly as it used to. I'm not saying she'll be sort of carrying niggles in with, with her from the, her last fight, but more so wear and tear applies in boxing the same way it would in any contact sport. And I would say particularly in boxing where your brain is being rattled around as well as your mm. body. So at a certain point with most fighters, if they stay there for a little bit too long, they find out that it was one too many. It was yeah. one step too many. Mickey Ward mentioned in his third fight with Arturo Gatti, he felt himself growing old between rounds. Literally, as he got off the stool, I think it was in the third round, he realised, it's gone. And he lost that fight. <laughs> and yeah, and from an Irish perspective, that's what we hope doesn't happen this weekend. There's Taylor would tell you there's absolutely zero danger of that happening. And somebody like her who lives a life, who really, aside from her, her loved ones, her faith, and I guess her boat <laughs> in Connecticut, where she tends to escape from the world and goes out on the, the Connecticut River, like boxing is the central pillar of her existence and she dedicates pretty much every spare moment she has to it and probably even some of the moments that aren't spare. And that will extend the fighter's career as well, right? Yes. Most don't make it to 37 fighting as well or as capably as she does now. So I would say, without meaning to sound in any way unkind to her, I actually think it's a compliment, maybe backhanded. She's probably been in a natural athletic decline for the last six, seven years. Like, I think she was probably a little bit faster before Rio than even when she turned professional in the autumn of 2016. And the fact that she's still able to beat a fighter of the calibre of Amanda Serrano as recently as last year, Mm. and she's still in this mix, is actually one of the great feats of her career. Yeah, it's a slightly unsatisfying conclusion as part of a preview because the last time we saw Taylor push to the pin of her collar was against Serrano in April a year ago. There was the Carvajal fight, as you mentioned, in October. But in effect, it's not like a soccer player where you can spot the decline on a regular basis. In boxing, you give it all, you fight, you go into hibernation. None of us quite know how you're going to reemerge. Maybe you don't quite know how you're going to reemerge. So it's like a question mark hanging over this fight. and. It's very hard for anybody to give a conclusive answer, but it's really worth noting. In terms of, you know, styles making fights, you said there that Taylor's going to have to stay very mobile 
here is that because if she gets into a brawl with Cameron, it's just the strength which we've mentioned is, is, is going to be too much for Taylor in a brawl. Are you sure you're ready to commit to that? No, I wouldn't commit to it necessarily, but I, I would say that is a huge risk. And, and like Taylor does like to get sucked into brawls against uh, all better judgment. That's always a concern, and I think her team would probably tell you there there is always that there is a concern even coming into this fight. Like particularly, you're holding home ground here. You know what I mean? You've got an English fighter coming over. Okay, it's Cameron's title is on the line, and Taylor is the challenger in this equation. But really, Cameron is coming over taking what belongs to you. Like, she's taking your scalp, ultimately. She wants to become the first woman to beat Katie Taylor as a professional. I think the world title belts, from Cameron's point of view, kind of go out the window. Like, the prize is almost bigger to be the one to beat Katie on her own soil. For Taylor, obviously, the prize is to become a two-way undisputed champion, which is kind of extraordinary. And, like, just to put the fight into context as well, from that point of view... It's exceptionally rare that you have two undisputed champions fight each other in boxing. Like, you can go back, it, it, weirdly with boxing, for a sport that's as good as it is at keeping records of its results, it's very hard to sort of find information like an undisputed champion versus undisputed champion. Obviously, the advent of new sanctioning bodies and new belts over the decades sort of muddies the waters as well. But I went through it for about an hour and a half the other day, and I think the last pure one was when Carmen Basilio moved up from welterweight where he was champion to fight the greatest boxer of all time Sugar Ray Robinson middleweight champion in 1957 there are a couple that you could say qualify since then but there are a couple of caveats like maybe one belt was missing or for example um, Michael Spinks moved up from light heavy in in 1987 was it to fight Larry Holmes but at the time Holmes just didn't bother with the WBC title he'd given away the WBA title the IBF sort of I guess paid him money in order to endorse them as a new sanctioning body but he was the ring magazine champion so he was the recognised heavyweight champion mm. Leon Spinks came up as light heavyweight champion and beat him That's a clo- I think that's the closest thing to this fight in modern times Okay. so um, I think sometimes with Katie Taylor fights particularly over the last couple of years maybe people can get bored of the idea that this is her toughest test because it seems as though every <laughs> second fight is that but that actually is just a testament to how good she is and how ambitious she remains and how crazy she is in some ways that she keeps wanting to take these tests and because there would have been a strong argument I'm sure maybe even within her camp I don't know I suspect not within her own head because she is so single minded but there would have been a strong argument to say you have just been an icon this is your long overdue homecoming pick a fight that you're going to win in front of the home crowd yeah, and it's just not the way she's wired. I think uh, where being 37 and having boxed for 20, 25 years or however, I guess 25 years she's been boxing, where that comes into play here is the fact that as much as she will say she takes every opponent as seriously as the next and she's just focused on the fight in hand no matter who it's against, she does need something to sort of stir her. Like she still needs a, a rocket under her the odd time in order to really put in I guess train as maniacally as she has for this fight because of the jeopardy in it that's what'll get her out of bed in the morning she'll be professional before every fight but I think it's almost like sharpening the mind as much as her her physical tools for a fight like this Will Cameron have experienced anything like this before? No and I think that's probably one of the potential advantages on Taylor's side of the coin in that Taylor's been fighting or preparing for and fighting in like let's call them major finals since 2005 she won her first European Championship in 2005 
she Cameron's amateur career was actually pretty impressive but just nowhere near the level of Taylor's her t- best two results at major championships were a silver medal at the 2010 EU championships were a little bit of a diluted version of the Europeans and then Taylor actually beat her in the semi-final of the same tournament the year afterwards but I think that was Cameron's 11th or 12th uh, major international fight at that time so you can disregard it as far as it pertains to this Saturday but the reason I bring that up is yes she's won four world title belts as a professional since Uh, she won the final two of them against Jessica McCaskill in her last fight but she hasn't been exposed to the type of occasion that Taylor has as far back as even London 2012 that final or Madison Square Garden more recently where it's the white hot heat of a proper professional boxing occasion and she's walking into I would say the most daunting away trip in professional boxing currently fighting Katie Taylor in Dublin is nuts really what kind of personality is she it's actually pretty hard to gauge and sometimes that kind of scares me about her in the sense that she says very little and just seems very steely focused and often she speaks she's very softly spoken and it almost maybe gives a a a fraudulent sense of vulnerability not intentionally but just that she speaks so softly and she almost seems unsure of herself Mm. in public speaking that you think uh, she can be gotten at and then you see her fight and uh, maybe a little bit like Taylor herself there's such a dichotomy between the two things. And what have the pre-fight relations been like? I did see, for instance, Cameron was expressing a certain worry that Taylor often gets the nod in uh, close-run fights. Mentioned uh, Delphine and Amanda, and they could have been close fights. Katie gets the nod, so home crowd, home judges. It didn't seem like the most inflammatory thing I've ever read. Generally, have they been cordial or communicative in any great way? Yeah, it's funny, I guess... Uh when they both sat down in March at the first press conference in the mansion house up here, pretty cordial. I think Cameron speaks of Taylor with great reverence and she acknowledges that she wouldn't be in the situation she's in, even regardless of this fight, had Taylor not turned pro in 2016 and really transformed their sport. And most female boxers would, would view Taylor through a similar lens. But then when they were down recording separately some promo material at the three arena yesterday, uh, there's a clip of Cameron saying like yeah I'm here to spoil the party but also and I want to I want to beat her up you know so she's not necessarily afraid of stating her intentions or laying out her, her mission statement ahead of it I think Taylor probably doesn't really give two you know what's about Cameron or really any opponent like I, I don't think she spends any great deal of time thinking about them and is often <laughs> I'm sure she's sick of being asked but it's almost a pointless question to ask her like if if Cameron if you put it to Taylor at tomorrow's press conference Oh, Cameron says she's going to beat you up. What do you think of that? Mm. Taylor would be like, oh, did she say that, yeah? Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. You know. um, I, I would say, to be honest, that Cameron has probably fixated on Taylor for a long time because she's had what Cameron wanted for a long time. Mm. Not only titles, but a level of exposure and fame and adulation within the sport of boxing generally that Cameron couldn't quite get to. She was sort of... She had Eddie Hearn as a promoter, a promoter, but didn't have, say, the fan base and didn't have like the name recognition that Taylor had, which is actually part of the reason why this fight has taken so long to make, because it's always been a risky fight for Taylor, but you wanted it to be as valuable as it could possibly be for both of them, right? So yeah. it's taken a while. I wouldn't be shocked if she had a Katie Taylor dartboard at some point and was trying to will it into existence. And in the end, it was only because Amanda Serrano pulled out of a fight in Dublin that Taylor pulled the trigger on the fight which actually surprised Cameron and her team as far as I know so there's a certain kind of um, 
Dublin is open for business again. Vibe. <laughs> fight first uh, world title fight since 2011. City West, Rogondo and Willie Casey. Uh, Eddie Hearn, you know, denying claims that there's been an increase in security. And uh, so that dichotomy, I'm sure, is very much there. And you've seen it where on the one hand, this is the fitting long overdue homecoming for an icon who is above reproach. And on the other hand, there is the underbelly to the sport in this country, which is not good. Mm. And I don't think anybody is naive enough to suggest the issues have been fully resolved. And you have, you know, Jamie Moore refusing to answer questions about Daniel Kinahan when Kieran Cunningham asked him about his endorsement to Kinahan previously. Um, and, you know, they, we're not here to talk about that. And yet we're here in Dublin and it's, you know, a mile down the road from where people might think that's important to talk about that issue. But they're trying to navigate those waters and come fight time, everything else will dissolve away and the fight will be absorbing, you would think. But uh, this week, to what extent has the, the wider issue of um, boxing and Dublin and the Regency been a factor to your eye? To be fair, the week from the media perspective has only just kicked off. There was a public workout today and that's where Eddie Earn was talking about the security issues. I think it was Kev Byrne. We were in a scrum who posed that question to him first and um, that's probably the extent to which it's come up. Like the public workout environment isn't one in which you're really speaking to anybody at particular length. Tomorrow's presser will be interesting from that point of view. Who's up tomorrow? they'll all be there so promoters trainers fighters it's like the main press conference um, but then there was one in March and, and Kieran Cunningham was the only body, the only person to ask that question of Jamie Moore and it wasn't really a particularly dominant dominant topic of conversation even amid the small talk around the hall yeah. and, I, and I often wonder the thing is, like, uh, sometimes there might be a perception that people haven't been, been asking these questions throughout the years of MTK Global or about Daniel Kinnan and about all of these connections. The thing is, you can ask the questions as much as you like, mm. but you cannot force people to answer them. And that's the card that Jamie Moore played when Kieran asked him that question. And really, there, there isn't a great deal of available follow-up questions to that. Like, Kieran did follow it up by saying exactly as you say, Joe, well, do you not think it's worth talking about given we're here? Yeah. And the response again was, well, we're here to talk about the fight. And where do you go from there, really? No, not anywhere, really, because people are going to tune in and watch the fight. They don't really right. need to answer those questions. I also would, I, I also do think as much as, yes, Cameron is an ex-MTK fighter, as is Gary Cully, who's in the co-main event, there, there is a... I wonder... Is, like, is there sort of a distinction in a way when we talk about the sort of underbelly of Irish boxing we really are just talking about the Kenyan organised crime group and their influence within the wider sport of yes. boxing and I guess like by extension the boxers who signed with MTK as a management company who have no involvement uh, with crime themselves as individuals but have had their morals questioned for many years for making a selfish decision, but a decision that they would explain as being the best one for themselves and their families in a sport or in a career that can be switched off in the blink of an eye, a career in which your life actually can end in the blink of an eye. That's how they justify it to themselves and maybe, uh, you know, without meaning to become too tangential with it, I've often felt like maybe the boxers themselves are judged a little bit too harshly within that whole dynamic or situation because of those reasons and because like uh, 
there aren't a great deal of options in yeah. boxing if you want to really further yourself or really be looked after. And one thing, MTK Global, for all of the badness that the people behind the scenes brought into the world, they were a pretty decent management company, strictly in a business boxing sense. And I often think as well, I like... I don't know, I'm wearing a pair of Nike runners when I went into a shop to buy them. Like, did I stop and think where they were made? Like, I know where they were made, right? Mm. But you sort of park things to suit yourself every now and then. And if you're a boxer from England, for example, who might be vaguely aware of what MTK truly was or some of the nefarious forces behind it, but you sort of frame it in your head or square it away as being a foreign problem. It's an Irish problem. Yeah. It was an easy decision to make. And that the reason I say all of that is like MTK are gone absolutely Kenyon remains influential in the sport but like what are we going to do like root them out you know Um, another um, aspect just to touch on before the clock comes against us and perhaps this depends on your perspective on Conor McGregor there are probably lots of people listening who adore the man as much as ever I think there is a fair quotient of the country who now have serious reservations about Conor McGregor just based on his uh, behaviour in recent years and by contrast, you have um, in Taylor maybe the most revered sporting brand mm. uh, around. And yet their relationship seems incredibly tight. Uh, McGregor's come on board as a big sponsor. Uh, she was thanking him on Instagram. He's, he's all over this week all of a sudden. Yeah, I don't know if their relationship is incredibly tight. It, it, to me, it feels as though for all of his obvious faults, McGregor has actually been a genuine supporter of Katie Taylor's for an awfully long time. I remember a fight in, it was either Boston or Philadelphia. She had two in quick succession in both of those cities. And he came into the place and at that time he was probably at the height of his fame slash infamy and all of the Irish fans went nuts. And then he was behind the scenes in her changing room, whatever, and then afterwards he used his profile to really big her up at a mm. time when she was breaking through into the mainstream of boxing and it was probably beneficial for her if we're, to be totally honest and I would see this sponsorship deal as really a deal between Conor McGregor and Eddie Hearn like Eddie Hearn is looking at Conor McGregor not as a guy that you or I or anybody else might have issues with yeah. I mean I don't think about him at all to be honest but like he's looking at it as a business transaction and a handy book all he has to do is slap a decal on the on the canvas and his job is done and he's getting paid to do that and to take some of the edge off paying for a show that's twice as expensive even in the three arena than it would be in Wembley Arena or somewhere like that. And I don't know if it is especially relevant to the fight at all. I guess, like, to what extent will somebody at home even be aware that that's a thing? You and I are talking about it now and they're listening to it on the radio and like, oh, maybe, like, that might be the first they're hearing of McGregor's involvement in it. To me, it's something that's going to pop up on Instagram and Twitter um, Katie thanking Connor in a message or um, Matrim sent around a press release that they've agreed the sponsorship to you, blah, 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 blah. That's not dropping into the email, email inboxes of any normal human being. It's just media, right? Like, it feels as though it's something that exists within a bubble and is, to me, distinct from the actual competition on Saturday night. People can disagree with that as well. That's fine. But I guess I... I don't see it as being like a massive issue because I just don't care about it that much personally. Mm. Uh, so final word on the fight itself. I spoke to you a couple of weeks back and I felt you were leaning reluctantly towards Cameron that this might be the time Katie gets caught. Uh, do you still have that sense? Where are you? Yeah, I have an awful feeling in my waters about it, to be totally honest. And 
I had that f- no I didn't have the same feeling ahead of the Serrano fight but the thing is and people have pointed this out already to me in comment sections and emails and whatever else I did back Serrano to beat Taylor in April of last year and I got that wrong and that was a time at which I, I genuinely did not believe that Taylor could sort of elevate herself in my own estimation like just strictly as a, an Irish sports person as an athlete for all she's achieved I, I thought I could not think more highly of her than I did at that time and then she came back from the dead in the fifth round took over the fight down the stretch and actually finished over the top of Serrano finished more strongly than uh, a fighter who almost knocked her out four rounds previously like that to me like brought her like it further into the stratosphere and I'm, this sure, time, I'm sure you said that night I'll never write her off again <laughs> I probably did but it feels like a long time ago now to be, to be honest like I, Katie Taylor is a better boxer than Chantel Cameron only, only fractionally better like but is better Okay. better footwork better actual boxing better hand speed still it's a size thing we say in, in boxing that speed kills but like more often than that if you're playing like rock paper scissors size will trump speed and Cameron is going to be just the naturally more comfortable 140 pound fighter on the night probably 150 odd pounds whereas Taylor will be maybe 141 and I think if Taylor can produce something reminiscent of that surrounded fight minus the fifth round yeah she can win the fight absolutely because she's a better boxer I just think it's unlikely that Cameron won't have a big say in the fight over 10 rounds and uh, it's a very long winded way of my saying that I would lean slightly towards Cameron and I think that if Taylor wins it as much as it might bore people, it will be the greatest victory of her career. It'll surpass a Serrano one. It'll surpass Sofia Ochagavin, 2012, two-weight undisputed champion against a bigger fighter in your hometown as well or in your home country. Mm. doesn't really get much bigger than that. So who knows? We'll probably be having the same conversation this time next year when she... <laughs> you said she was going to lose to Cameron and she would. Who's next up? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all amazingly set up Gav I'm sure you're all over it right across the week on the 42 and people can check out uh, your pieces thanks so much thanks a million Joe